Brother Jeff, I'm going to invite you up. And was it Devin that's going to come? Why don't you come up first, Jeff? So Jeff, uh, Jeff Price is going to bring the word to us today. You guys, you don't know him. Jesus knows him. And I know him. And Tim Cole knows him. And uh, Jeff, is, Jeff has been a friend of mine at Honda. And, you know, it's been one of those secret Christian friends. I, I, I knew that he was a man of God. I didn't, know, I didn't know how deeply he was involved in the word and how much he loved the Lord. And, um, and maybe even the struggles that he's had in life and, and have kept finding his way back to the Lord like all of us do. Um, hopefully do. But, um, I, you know, I retired a year and a half ago, and, and I was still watching this website called LinkedIn, and it's like Facebook for a corporate. And I see Jeff's on there, and it's like, Jeff, CEO, transportation company, something, something, something. I'm like, dude, why are you not at Honda still? I was almost offended. Like, why did you leave the company? We need you guys to run the company. You're fantastic. And uh, God called him to do something different. He'll share that. But what he said was, he's like, Stu, I remember the time you and I spent in India together, and I've been thinking about that, and I'm glad, I'm glad you reached out to me. Um, I've rededicated my life fully to Christ, and I want to talk to you. Can we talk? And I said, I'm kind of busy, you know, retired and stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we got together. We've been breaking bread at Panera and uh, spent a few times together. I was like, brother, you have a word that is burning in you, and you need to get it in front of more people. Yes, the church. Yes, on the streets. And he's, he's doing a bit of both. But uh, we had an opening word where Joey wasn't preaching this morning. I thought he, he's got a strong word. And he prayed about it. I prayed about it. We believe that God brought him here today to bring uh, a word to us. And I want to invite my friend Jeff. And I'll let you invite your friends and family. And then uh, your buddy who's going to pray for you. Okay? Hallelujah. Thank you. Good morning, good morning, Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. How's everyone doing today? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. First off, I'm very excited to be here this morning. It just stirs my heart and stirs my spirit to be here in front of all of you. You know, I don't believe in coincidence at all. The fact that I've worked at Honda for five years, meeting Stu, how he guided me when we were in India, the words that he prayed over me and my daughter when I was going through a trial and tribulation that was out of this world. But what I'm going to share with you today is before I came to the Lord fully surrendered in 2020, when COVID happened, I was experienced, uh, I was spiritually dead, so to speak. I was dry. You know, I didn't have any fervor or fervent for the Lord. So what I'm going to preach today is share my testimony and weave in about Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 14. And it's a story about the vision that the prophet Ezekiel had about those dry bones that the Lord gave him. So, dim dry bones, where did that come from? That's the title of this sermon today. And it's actually a spiritual song. Most of you have heard it or heard a rendition of it that has been around. So what I'm going to do is share a little bit about the song. Um, God hasn't blessed me yet to be able to sing so I'm going <laughs> to, not yet, not yet. I'm praying for that though. Y'all pray for that with me too. That, you know, I'll be a great singer as well. However, I'm going to go ahead and share some of the lyrics to that song because just like that show on AMC, The Walking Dead, that's where I was in my life before I submitted in 2020. You know, that show is all about zombies. And what do zombies do? They keep eating flesh. They keep feeding the flesh, the carnality. And before we come to the Lord, that's what we are. We just want to feed the flesh. 
But one, one flesh isn't enough, and that's how Satan works. He never has enough. So once you're feeding that flesh just like a zombie, you want more and more and more. And what starts off as a little sin, unless that's dealt with appropriately, it turns into a bigger sin. So I'm going to go ahead and give a couple of the words and lyrics to the song, um, Dim Dry Bones. Ezekiel connected them, dry bones. Ezekiel connected them, dry bones. Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now this part I'm sure everyone here has heard along, heard before, because it also is called the skeleton dance. And it goes, the toe bones connected to the foot bone, the foot bones connected to the heel bone, the heel bone connected to the ankle bone, etc. So I'm going to share with you four bones that God gave me the revelation to. And it starts with the wishbone, and that's connected to the jawbone. The jawbone's connected to the backbone, and the backbone's connected to the funny bone. So I'm going to share my testimony and weave in those four bones. But before I do, I'm going to ask my co-minister and my brother Devin Madison to come up and say a prayer over myself and the church. Because as it says in James 5:16, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And my brother, I've known him for about a year now, and I can see the light shine in him. The gift that God has given him to worship and prayer is something that I have never seen in my life. So, Brother Devin, you could come up now and lead us in a prayer. And I ask the congregation to please stand. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Let's give him some praise, guys. Not for me, guys, but for the Lord. Hallelujah, Father. I thank you, Jesus. I thank your mighty name, God. We lift you high, Father. I thank you, Jesus. As we enter into your, your gates, God, we enter in with thanksgiving in our hearts, Lord God. I thank you. We create a living throne right now for the spirit of you, God, for Jesus, for, for the Almighty, for your way. We just ask that you come into this temple right now and you just let us on fire, God. You just ask for the, the spirit of the Holy Spirit just to come into Mechanicsburg right now and we ask for these doors to be edified with your name, God. Hallelujah, God. We just come to you right now and say glory. Hallelujah. We lift you up high right now, Father. I thank you. He wants it all today, saints. He he wants your whole heart, God. He wants your whole mind right now, Father. Let the chalice of the cup overflow, God, and drink from it, God, because it's so good, Father. Hallelujah, God. We just give you glory, God. I thank you, Jesus, right now. I thank you for each soul that is here right now, Lord God. I thank you for the generations and generations, Lord God. I thank you for the seeds that are in the ground right now. But let us not forget to water those seeds. Let us not to get, forget that your light is is the energy that those seeds need to produce and grow, Father. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your, uh, your ability to just have the air in our lungs, God, for the movement in our body, Lord. I thank you for the sunlight that is on our face, God. I thank you for just allowing our, uh, the movement in our body to continue to walk towards your righteousness, towards your love, towards your upbringing, Father. I thank you, Jesus, as we enter into your gates right now. Anything that is not 
like you, Father, we ask that you bind it in the name of Jesus. We cover it with the blood of Jesus right now, God. Any sickness, God, we ask that you take it out of the bodies, Lord God. Any type of uh, diversities that people may be facing right now, Lord God, we ask that you come in and you be the provider, Father. I thank you. We come up against the spirit of Antichrist right now, Lord God. The spirit of suicide right now, Lord God. The spirit of addiction right now, Lord God. The spirit of uh, depression right now, Lord God. And we edify your name, God. We know that you are more than a conqueror, God. That you are more than a provider, Father. And we believe these things with our whole heart, with our whole mind, Father. Focus on your love and focus on your righteousness, God. I thank you, God, as we watch and pray. I thank you as we go in and we come out, God. I thank you for waking us up, God. For the birds that fly in the air, God, and the ants that walk below, Father. We take them not for granted, God, because you are the great creator, God. It said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, plurals, God, because there is heavens for your, for your congregation, God. Hallelujah. You also created the light, Lord God, and you divided the light from the darkness, Lord God, because without the light, the darkness would continue to exist, Lord God, but you put the light in our hearts for, for us to follow your name, for us to be a part of your remnant, God. Hallelujah, Father. I thank you, Jesus. You just put the halo of fire over our hearts, Lord God. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into us, God, all through the day, God, not just for 40 minutes, God. As we watch YouTube and as we watch uh, Netflix, Lord God, we want to edify your name just as much as we do that, Lord God. In fact, give us a full increase of your love and a decrease of the world, Father. Hallelujah, God. We just submit ourselves to you, God. We fall to our faces, God, and we carry our crosses daily, God. God, bless the man of God who's going to bring the word, Lord God. Uh, let the Holy Spirit speak through him, God. Let his light shine through your words, Father, that you have put on his heart, God. Bless the congregation of Mechanicsburg, Lord God. Open up the doors for the communication as they do their harvest, Lord God. Bring the body of Christ into the church, Father, that we need more than ever, Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. I plead the blood over this congregation. I plead the blood over their lives, God. I ask for an increase in finances, an increase in their, in their life, in their family, and in the way that they live, God, and let your word be spoken as they meet strangers, Lord God. Let your light be seen as they come across strangers, Lord God. Protect every car, protect every windshield, protect every home, Lord God. We just ask for your mighty spirit. We ask for your mighty name, and we believe these things in Jesus' name. We pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, man, hallelujah. <laughs> man, I don't know if I can follow up with that, but may God help me and God willing. Jesus, that was good. Whew. So before I start into, those, into these four bones, I want to give some background on Ezekiel and the climate that was going on within the country at that time. Because just important as the message, so is the messenger. So even though he had a very important message to say, it's important who Ezekiel was as a person, just as it's important how each and every one of us is in the kingdom. We are all special. We all have a ministry, and we all have something to bring to the table. Because honestly, there's somebody who will not come to Christ unless you do it, unless you speak up, and they move on your behalf. So let's talk about Ezekiel first. The name Ezekiel, there's power to your name. 
The name Ezekiel means in Hebrew, God strengthens, or whom God has made strong. So God knew from the womb when his parents chose that name Ezekiel that there was something to it. Let's talk a little bit about what Ezekiel went through. He was a priest. He was called into exile by the Babylonians. In exile, he received his call to be a prophet at 30 years of age. He was 30 years old when he started his ministry. So what does that say? There's not a timetable for you to start your ministry. It doesn't matter if you're 5 years old, 10 years old, 30 years old, 60 years old, as long as you have breath, you have the opportunity to spread the gospel and spread the word of Jesus. So Ezekiel, he carried many prophetic acts, including lying on his side for more than a year, not mourning when his wife died. Mm. And he was one of the first exiles of Judah. So you can see just by his name that he already had the gift of a strength that was in him. Also, he was in exile. You know, so for a country in exile where Judah was at that time, it's kind of similar to where we are in our culture in the United States right now. Hope was lost. People didn't think they had a way. They didn't have any message, any goodness. They were captured by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he's mentioned in Daniel as one of the most evil kings of that time. So how do you think that country felt? They probably feel the same way we do in the United States right now, where we see COVID, we see political change, we see all these little remnants. You know, I don't even have to go into Matthew 24 to know that we are living in perilous times. But with these times, God sent Ezekiel to be a messenger of hope, to be a voice of the Lord, to share something powerful that changed their mindset. So we're going to leave that into the first bone. So like I said, the, the wishbone's connected to the jawbone, the jawbone's connected to the backbone, and the backbone's connected to the funny bone. So we're going to start these bones from top to bottom, and the first bone is that wishbone. So the wishbone, that's a gift from God, and what the wishbone activates is faith and vision. And we know from a Hebrews 11.1 1, that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we're starting with our mind first, and we're going to work our, way, work our way down through the body. So with faith and vision, that's a gift from God for us to believe the unbelievable, to see the unseen. We know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So that aspect of our mind, you know, we have the conscious, we have the subconscious, but the unconscious, the unconscious part, that's the part of our mind that can believe something that we've never seen. Nobody has seen God, but with faith, you can see him and experience him. The second part of that wishbone is vision. Vision, the ability to see past the unseen, the ability to see where you're going in life. You know, one of my favorite scenes from the movie Alice in Wonderland is when the cat appears to Alice. She asks, he asks, she asks him, which way should I go? He asks her, do you know where you're going? She said no, so he said it doesn't matter. So if you don't have any vision in life, then how do you know where you're going? So it really doesn't matter. You could be running in circles your whole life unless you have a vision. But it's not about your vision, it's about the vision that God gives you. Because look, we're all his children. You know, I have two daughters, my wife is pregnant now, we have our son on the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. 
But I have a vision for my children. And we as God's children, he has a vision for each and every one of us for all of our lives. So I'm going to read to you Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 3 about the wishbone. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry, excuse me, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. So what I'm going to share from here is start my testimony on how I came to the Lord. So Ezekiel, we know that he was strong enough for God to take him to that place. It says that the hand of the Lord took him to the valley of those dry bones to start that vision. So for me in my life before I came to the Lord completely in 2020, I was in that dry place. I was in that place to where when you're in the valley, you got to look up just to see where you are. Because as we know, that valley is that sunken place in the ground. So you got to look up to even see where you're going. And that's where I was in my life at that time. So I was born September 24th, 1987. And let's circle back to what a name means. My name is Jeffrey, which is German for God's peace. My middle name is Odalis, which means down to earth. And my last name is Price. So if you put that together, it's God's peace down to earth for a price. And when I came to the Lord, I realized, hey, there's something to my name. Because there is a prophetic anointing to everyone's name when you come to the Lord. And that's not just for Ezekiel. When Abram came to the Lord, his name was changed to Abraham. When Jacob fully submitted to the Lord and it was time for him to start, his name was changed to Israel. When Saul, as we mentioned earlier, was, his name was changed on the road to Damascus, his name was changed to Paul. So there is a prophetic anointing to everyone's name in here. And I encourage you to look into the meaning of your name and you'll kind of be astonished to how God is already working in your life and how you're living up to that calling on your name. So growing up in my grandmother's house, I always had a love for the Lord. You know, my parents had me in their early 20s. So uh, like many children, I spent a lot of time at grandma's house. My grandmother, though, she was a woman of God, and she had a fervent ministry inside of her that she always had a rule when I came over her house in the morning, and that was I had to read the Bible for one hour each day. No matter what I wanted to do that day, turn on the video game, turn on that Super Nintendo, turn on that Sega Genesis, I had to read that Bible for one hour. And the Word of God says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I encourage everyone that's in here, we cannot forsake our children. You know, right now, children have access to so much sin through their phones, that is really almost unbelievable. And I'll go into that in a little bit more detail later. But what happened to me is because my grandmother had me read the Bible every hour, of every day when I went over there, it planted that seed, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, Paul planted Apollo's water, but God does the increase. So we as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, we have the responsibility of planting seed in our children right now. They, you might not think they're even receiving it. You know, my grandmother didn't think anything about it. She just said, hey, just read the word and God will do the rest. And we still have to keep that same discipline for our children. So my first spiritual encounter, I learned to love to read the Bible during this period. So when I was eight years old, I had an experience that forever changed my life. 
I was reading the book of Daniel because she always started me in the little children's Bibles because I love the pictures. You know, I would look at Joseph in the coat of many colors. I would go to David and it, and it inspired me. I was like, ooh, I, I want to slay some bears and slay giants. And you know, as a child, they have an active imagination. They have a vision in their minds. Children can be captivating. They can start to believe now. So that's why it's important to plant those seeds because they haven't been contaminated by the world. The world hasn't told them, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You can speak life into them so that they can grow into who God has ordained them to be. But that only happens if we make the choice to speak life into them and share that love into them now while they're children, while they still have that imagination, before the world beats it out of them. So as I'm going through this experience, I'm reading my children's Bible and I'm looking at the pictures of eight years old and I'm looking at Samson, you know, because that that's what got me into working out. I'm like, wow, he's like the first bodybuilder in the Bible. I'm like, this guy is huge. He's pushing down pillars. He's slaying hundreds with the jawbone. I'm like, man, this guy is it. So then after reading, I got to Daniel in the lion's den. And then Daniel, it gives a prophetic word leading into Revelation. So as a child, eight years old, I'm reading Daniel, I'm loving the story because I'm looking at the pictures of Daniel in the lion's den, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and it's drawing me in as a child because of the illustrations. But what it took me to was in Revelation, and once I hit Revelation, the fear of the Lord came into me. Because as a child, if you're reading Revelation, you hear about this beast and this devouring and 666 and all these things, it will put the fear of the Lord in your heart right then and there. So at that point, at that night, I prayed and I cried my eyes out. I was on my knees at eight years old saying, Lord Jesus, save me right now. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be here on the second rapture. I don't want anything to do with that. When you come and that trumpet sounds, take me up right now at eight years old. So that night as I slept, God opened up my spiritual eyes and I saw in the spiritual realm at eight years old. So I say that to say there is no baby Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that they can receive as a child is the same one we can get as an adult. So we shouldn't water down the children. We should let them experience the full gospel. Let them experience the ministry. Give them a microphone. Let them speak. Because you never know what the voice of a child can change and how they can be the next generation. Because if you're training up that child right now, he can be the next great leader, the next speaker, the next minister to reshape the whole generation for his, for his era. So at that time, I asked my grandmother, because when I saw into the spiritual realm, I literally experienced sleep paralysis. I couldn't move. I was so scared that I just sat there. And as it said in 1 Samuel 3, when Samuel was called, Samuel called to Eli and he said, you know, what's going on, paraphrasing? Is the Lord calling me? What is this? So I did, the, I did the exact same thing and took it to my grandmother and asked her, what is this that's going on? What is this experience? And at that point, my grandmother gave me a choice. She said, Jippy, which is my nickname in the family, she said, God is calling you, but you have a choice. You can either act like this never happened or you can submit and start walking with God right now. But she told me, I can't make this choice for you. This is on you because God gives us free will. We have to choose to want him. He's always there with open arms. For a lot of us, he's chasing us our whole lives to where all we need to do is just turn around and he's right there in front of us. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
But we have to make that choice. Because just as love is, you never want to force love on anyone. If you've ever tried to force love on someone, it doesn't feel good for any party. Because forced love is not true love. God wants us to come with him with an open heart to want to receive that love. Because when we want to receive his love, that's where, the, that's where he's able to reciprocate it and where we can fully embrace him. So at that point, I decided, you know, I told my grandmother, I'm all in. So I chose to get baptized. And at the church I was going to at the time, they didn't just baptize children. They wanted to make sure that you really knew what you were talking about or that you really wanted to do it. So at that point, I went through Sunday school lessons about baptism and what it meant and why I wanted to do it and things of that nature. So at eight years old, I was baptized. And at that point, my life started to shift. I started at the school I was going to at the time, they had speaking competitions. And every speaking competition that I entered, to, entered into, I won. And I'm going to share with you a scripture from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth mm, and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So at eight years old, every speaking competition that I, my parents entered me into, I would win them. But it wasn't me. It was God fulfilling his word through my life because I chose him. And I'm not Christian 2.0. This is available for every believer if they choose to submit to him. He will open that door and he will literally touch your mouth and put those words in your mouth to fulfill his kingdom agenda on earth through you. He did it to Ezekiel. He did it to Jeremiah. He did it for me. And he'll do it for each and every one of you in this room right now today. So through that period, I was doing great. I was winning speech meets, I was winning competitions, spelling bees, anything that was oratorically inclined, I was winning those competitions as a child. But puberty hit, right? So when, so when puberty hit, hormones hit, and then addiction started, you know? Back then, you had to sneak around if you wanted to watch something that you weren't supposed to on television. You know, I had to sneak downstairs, watch late night HBO, Cinemax or Skinemax as I used to call it, and then watch things I wasn't supposed to as a child. But once you open that door for sin, especially pornography, you open the door for demonic activity in your life. And then your eyes are a portal into your soul. So as your eyes start seeing these things, your mind starts to change. That wishbone of those faith and visions, I wasn't seeing faith and visions of God anymore. I was seeing faith and visions of things I wasn't supposed to be seeing, especially as a child. And this is, this is the mid-90s, right? But now, kids, they got these phones. They can look at anything they want when they want to. And Satan is using that to corrupt our youth. I mean, you can go on TikTok right now, a young child, 10, 13 years old, can log on TikTok, and for some strange reason, women, men, whatever they're interested to, just starts downloading on their phone, that they would somehow be interested in that, because Satan just throws it right in their face, right then and there, because that's how he's trying to steal our youth. And as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan has been trying to contaminate our youth from the beginning. We learned that in the book of Exodus with Moses. 
What was Pharaoh trying to do? He was trying to knock out all of the Hebrew males. He was trying to knock them out. That's why Moses was sitting in the manger. When we get to Jesus, what was he trying to do? Same decree. Let's knock out all the children. Let's knock out all the men. So if you think that something's changed with his strategy, he doesn't have to kill them. He just has to corrupt them. Corrupt them right then as a child, then they can't advance their ministry because, as we said with our wishbone, now their faith, now their vision, they're not focused anymore. And I experienced that. I told my parents, I don't want to go to the speech meets anymore. I didn't even really want to go to church anymore because all I wanted to do when they went to church was sneak downstairs. And I'm not the only person that's been that way. That affects a ton of our youth right now. But God still had favor and grace over my life. So... During this period, it was rough for me because I wasn't focused on God anymore. But a change happened, a shift happened when Y2K hit between 99 and 2000. So at that point, I think most of you in here experienced Y2K, but for me, I was 13 years old. And at that point in eighth grade, I thought the world was coming to an end. I thought that was it. I thought when that ball dropped, the rapture was coming, and that was it. So that night again... God's mercy fell upon my life because that night before that ball dropped, I was on my knees in tears just how I was five years prior when I was eight years old saying, Lord, I repent. Forgive me for all my sins. I'll never do it again. If you just give me one more chance, I'll get my life right. I'll go back to speaking. And you know what? I felt the Holy Spirit again that night to where the Spirit of the Lord came upon me just like it came upon Ezekiel and the hand of the Lord touched me again. Because the Lord is looking for a contrite heart, a heart with tears, a heart that is sincere about and apologetic about repentance. You know, you can fake it all you want with everybody else, but you can't fake out God. You know, he's looking for repentance, which is the verbal confession, and renunciation, which is the action behind it. So if you say, Lord, I, I repent, I'm sorry, but you still got all that trash downloaded in your phone, are you really sorry? You're not. Because there always has to be an action behind it. It says we walk by faith and not by sight. So there's always some kind of movement attached when you're really doing the work of the Lord. So from that point, my life shifted again. I got back into church. I started doing the right thing. I started getting back into the Bible. Those seeds my grandmother planted, I started reading the Bible again and soaking into the Word. However, in 2001, I went through a traumatic experience when my parents got divorced. And divorce hurts children so much. I know we should always fight for our marriages, but experiencing that divorce it changed me because I lost that discipline. I didn't have my father anymore. My mother was trying her best. She's here in the audience today. But as a 14-year-old boy, I just wanted to do what I want. And because those demons that went out when I did my confession in Y2K, now they came back seven times worse. Because now they came back with accompanying spirits, right? Because it's coming back harder now because he's coming back for a temple and he brought some friends with him. So at that point, I fell right back into sin. So I, I consider that point the wilderness of my life. But even though I was in the wilderness from 2001 to 2016, I still had God's favor on my life. So some of the negative things I experienced was rebellion. I was a rebellious teenager. Everything that my parents told me to do, I intentionally did the opposite. And <laughs> it's kind of funny, but teenagers today are doing the same things. For no reason. I, they could tell me to take the trash out, and my response was, why? You know, I challenged every bit of authority that my parents, teachers, everyone put in front of me because 
Now those spirits that came back, they brought some other spirits too with the addiction. Now rebellion was coming in. And now those seeds are being planted in my life. So I chose to do wrong. So even though I had given my heart to Jesus, I'm saved, you know, but because I chose to do sin. So even though you're saved, you can still choose to do wrong. Adam and Eve were made perfect in the image of God, but they still chose to do wrong because evil was still present. So that was the same thing that I was doing. However, God still had his hand over my life just how he had over Ezekiel. So some of the positive experiences while I was in the wilderness were I joined the military. I joined the military in 2012. And what prompted me to join the military in 2012 was when 9-11 happened. I was 13 years old when 9-11 happened um, in my freshman year at Bishop Harley High School in Columbus. And when I saw the destruction and the mayhem that was happening, that put it in my heart that I wanted to be a part of something that changed that. So I say that to say part of the vision or when you're trying to find God's purpose in your life is understanding when you feel that burden in your heart. Not everybody's going to get a, a supernatural vision, but when you feel that tug that you need to do something about it, that's how you can know when you need to walk and where God is calling you to go. Maybe you have a burden for helping children. Maybe you have a burden for helping people with addiction. But these are just examples to where God is calling you and that's where your purpose may be. So that's what inspired me to have the vision to join the army. So while I was in the army in 2012, that brought that discipline back in my life. When I joined the military, you don't conform to the military. The military makes you conform to their standards. That's the military motto, and that's what I learned in the army. So that discipline that I was missing for those years, now I'm getting that discipline back, that structure back. Because the key word to being a disciple is having discipline. So as I'm getting that discipline back, I learned something. God was cultivating me at this time. He was preparing me for my ministry now. Because even though I wasn't walking with God, he was still walking with me. So there are some experiences that happen in the wilderness I'm going to key in on and then go back to that. So when I was 17 years old, I want to explain the second vision, the first time I had a vision for the Lord for my life. I came back home from college from the University of Akron. My mother, she told me, she said, son, do not go out tonight. Don't take the car out. But that rebellious spirit, of course, I'm going to do the exact opposite my mom said. So at 17 years old, I'm going 70 miles an hour on the freeway, not paying attention. A car cuts me off in the lane. Then boom, I hit the divider on the freeway. Of course, I didn't have my seatbelt on. I didn't have any protection on or anything. Airbags deflated, car total, you know, ambulance come. But while that happens, that near-death experience, my life flashed before my eyes. And in this vision, my whole life displayed, but there were certain things in the future that I didn't understand. In that vision, I saw myself speaking to thousands upon thousands of people, but I didn't know what that meant. But I knew that it had something tied to God because I knew the word. Those seeds were planted in me as a child. But even though I had this vision, I go to the hospital, they check me out, no injuries, nothing happened. Going into a guardrail at 70 miles per hour is the equivalent of driving off a 12-foot, 12-story building. But nothing happened to me. But that was God's protection over my life. That was his hand still protecting me that nothing happened. 
that experience, you would think that after that experience, such a traumatizing event that, hey, you will get my life together. I will surrender to the Lord. Nope. I went right back to partying like nothing ever happened. <laughs> it's kind of funny now looking into it, but, you know, that's that funny bone, and, and we'll, we'll hit into that. <laughs> but that vision, though, it stuck with me. It stayed within my spirit. It's something I always went back to. So in the Army, I'll fast forward to that in 2012. While in boot camp, I learned the Soldier's Creed. Now, the Soldier's Creed should be the Christian's Creed. And I'm going to just read it to you. <clears throat> it says, I am an American soldier. I am a warrior and member of a team. I serve the people of the United States and live the Army values. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. And those values are what God was placing in me now so I could be a powerful evangelist, so I could reach out to people. Because if the mission statement is in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, about making disciples of all nations, then the vision statement is in Luke 4, 18 and 19, which says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the acceptable year of the Lord is now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If that was the vision to make those disciples, then the vision God had for each and every one believer that when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in power and boldness, that everyone would walk in that same power and boldness and that his spirit would be manifested in us. Because 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18, but we all with unfailed face. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, just as by the glory of the Lord. So what that means is that same Holy Spirit that was available to me as a child was available to all of us right now to do everything that Jesus did while he was on this earth. We have the power to cast out demons. We have the power to heal the sick. But it all goes back to that wishbone and that faith measurement. But faith is the measureless measure. You know, you can grow in faith just like you can grow in anything else as long as you cultivate that seed and water that seed. And as he says, God will do the increase. So while I was in the military, Romans, <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So us as Christians, that's what we should live up to. We shouldn't conform to the world. The world needs to conform to us, just like in the military. They set the standard. I don't, go in the, I don't join the military and say, hey, you got to meet me where I'm at. No, we need to come to where we need to be. And us as the body of Christ, we shouldn't just bring people in, oh, I minister to you. No, I want to bring you in. I need to disciple you. When Jesus picked the disciples, they didn't just start their own ministry. They were under Jesus for three years before they were ready to be out on their own. 
So as we bring people into the body of Christ, we need to also be cognizant of that as well. That if I bring you in and I minister to you, I need to invite you into church. Maybe if they're not ready to come to church, that we talk to them, a text message here and there. Let them know that we love them, we care about them. Maybe they have the Bible app, do a plan with them. Anything along those lines to keep that seed going. Because a lot of people don't have the discipline to come to the Lord and automatically be on fire, so to speak. They need to just be kind of groomed into it, just like how the disciples were with Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so I'm going to fast forward to 2016. In 2016, I met the love of my life where I met my wife. And that experience finally cleared up some of those indwelling demons that I had been addicted to because I was exposed to sex and so young. Because when I fell in love with her, it started cleaning my heart out. I had never really been in love before. I never experienced true love. So once I fell in love with my wife, all those things started falling off of me. Because I started realizing how beautiful a woman was. I started to value women more. I didn't look at them as some just piece of meat on the TV. I found that love that I could cherish a woman. And the way that we met, it, it was all God's ordaining. You know, I met her actually at a bar because I wasn't walking with God then. This is still 2016. And when she came into the bar, she actually had a halo over her head that she had fashioned with a glow stick. <laughs> so, so for me, I'm like, what are the chances of that? Now, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, well, she's smoking. You know, she has a little halo on. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm thinking more like a Victoria's Secret angel. You know, I'm not thinking like a heavenly angel. <laughs> but that's how God works. See, God works in signs and wonders, and he sends little spiritual guideposts our way. But if we're not spiritually sensitive to him, we can miss him. And we think God's not speaking, but remember, he's the creator. So he can speak through a person. He can speak through an animal. He can speak through nature. He can speak through a song. He can speak through any avenue of communication he wants to because he is God. And Proverbs 20, 25 verse 2 says, For it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. So <laughs> it's his glory to conceal it, but it's up to us to search it out. We have to search out God. And Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So if you're seeking God, he'll provide everything else, but we have to be diligent about it. He's not going to do that part for us because he wants to experience our love. So meeting my wife is when my life really started to change. My heart got right. Those addictions to pornography, all that started falling off of me. So the point of that is, even though I hadn't fully submitted to the Lord, God was already working on me. He was pulling stuff off of me. He was preparing me. He was ordaining my path, so to speak. He was making sure that when this time came right, when it was time for me to speak, that my character was right. You know, you shouldn't be in front of the pulpit preaching if your life is a little messed up in the background. Because people can sense it. They'll know. You know, we call that spiritual discernment. It's one of the spiritual gifts that God has blessed us with. That if your fruit isn't right or your character isn't right, people can pick that up. So, one thing, so I'm going to the next bone. Because the wishbone is connected to the jawbone. So the jawbone. Where I hit the jawbone is when I experienced the last supernatural encounter that I had before I fully submitted to Christ. In 2020, we're going through COVID. <clears throat> I'm working at Honda, 
and uh, they gave us the opportunity to work at home. So from working at home, there was a business that was always on my heart for me to do. And that business was a trucking company in logistics, through third-party logistics, things that I had done in the Army as an 88 November, a transportation management coordinator, the things I did at Honda where I was in charge of international global shipping, the way that I met Stu. So as I'm sitting at home in COVID, I, you know, it, it, I had the time to actually start this business. So, but what happened was while I'm starting the business, I'm reading a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I don't know if any of you have ever read that book before, but that book is actually a spiritual book that walks you through on encountering the spiritual realm. It talks about faith. It talks about prayer. But one thing it doesn't talk about is Jesus. So literally what it's teaching people is if you want to be successful in business, you can reach out to not the Holy Spirit, but familiar spirits, and they'll speak to you and help you with your business to be successful in life. Now what he's saying is actually true. Because there are familiar spirits and demons can hear too. So, and when you think about it in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted on, on the mount, Satan offers him that. He says, hey, you, if you bow down to me, you can have the world, you can have everything in this world, I'll give it to you right now. So people joke around when they say, I sold my soul to the devil, but you really can. And your soul is your resolve, it's your reaction. Lost my third, my third R. <laughs> Holy Spirit, Holy, Holy Spirit, help me. It's your emotions, your intellect, and your will. I'll leave it at that. That third R will come back to me. However, the point is, once you sell your soul to the devil, you start mimicking his actions, and we see that in the times we live in now. You know, I just turned on a Superman com comic, and I'm reading now that Superman is bisexual. I'm like, why is that even necessary? Why? Because now they can reach children even more. And I'm not just going to pick on that. Even all those superheroes, there, there's not a superhero that is a man of God, that has a wife, that's doing what he's supposed to do. That doesn't exist. Why? Because he can poison the children that way. And I know I keep circling around to that because God has burdened that on my heart to reach out to children. You know, and coincidentally, just to circle back around to my wife, she's a pediatric nurse practitioner. What a coincidence, and she works at the jails in Columbus City being their provider. So God will literally open the doors for your ministry to be where it needs to be. So this third vision that I had when I started the business, as I'm reading that book, I'm start, I didn't even make it all the way through when God showed up for the third time. He showed up when I was eight years old. He showed up when Y2K hit, but this time when he showed up, my life flashed before my eyes again in a series of impressed thoughts in my mind. So it wasn't like I heard this booming voice from heaven. It was just thoughts replayed in my mind of every second of my life where God was with me. From the car accident that I was in as a child, from when I was in Afghanistan and I had appendicitis and they had to rush me to the emergency room and I had surgery in Afghanistan while bombs were being shot at the hospital and I was fine. All these moments God is showing me that he was protecting me. He was covering me. And at that point, I said, you know what? I've tried everything else in life, whether it was anything that's in the Big Ten. You know, Ohio State's in the Big Ten. So all of the Big Ten commandments, I broke them all when I was in the wilderness. Whatever it was, been there, done that. But God 
still had that favor upon me. And when he showed up this time, my face is full of tears, and I'm like, Lord, have your way. I'm fully submitted. I'm no longer going to be like Jonah. I'm not going to be that prophet on the run, just running from the Lord's calling from my life. I'm fully submitted. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And at that point, that's when that jawbone got activated. Psalms 40 verse 3, it says, He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and trust in the Lord. So at that point, I was a little introvert. I didn't really want to be on stage. I didn't want to talk to anybody because I had kind of not partnered with that in a long time because I was walking in sin. But now that jawbone was activated. <laughs> I went from a casual Christian to an on-fire evangelist overnight because now I knew that God was real for me personally, like on a different level. See, I, I knew God was real for like Benny Hinn or for Rob Parsley. You know, I knew God was real for those guys, but I really didn't know, think God cared about me that much. But at that point, I realized that he does love me that much and that my life does matter and that I mean something to the kingdom and that he has a specific purpose for me. So at that point, I became a new creature, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away and all things become anew. I literally, I stopped cussing, I stopped smoking weed, I stopped getting drunk. You know, all those things, I just stopped instantaneously. I stopped listening to, to music that glorifies Satan. Any music that talked about doing things evil, I immediately cut it off and just started listening to praise and worship music. But, hallelujah, but with that jawbone, I was so on fire for God that I wasn't taking care of home. You know, God blessed me with a beautiful wife that I loved and I took care of. But because God gave me the vision, I expected for her to act like me. I, I was like, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I turned into almost a taskmaster. I was trying to beat her head, beat her over the head with the Bible every day, every day, quoting scripture, saying this, saying that. And really, that's not Christ-like. Because as it says in Ephesians 4, we are supposed to minister in truth and love. Even though what I was saying was a lot of truth, so I'm hitting, I'm throwing righteous right hands. I didn't leave with that left hand of love. <laughs> it was all righteous right hooks, but no left hand of love. <laughs> so Lee, in that way, what I really was doing was I was pushing her away from Christ. Because if, if I'm supposed to be a man of God and I'm just yelling at people, telling them they're going to hell, I mean, just really fire and brimstone-ish without any love attached to it, then why would people want to come to Christ? Like, I might as well just stay out there then. What's the point of coming in if all you're going to do is bash me, criticize me, ridicule me, judge me? And, and putting that on somebody, that'll deter them from Christ all the way. Because they're not going to have anything. You know, when Jesus pulled the four fishermen, the bait that they throw out to catch sinners and bring them into Christ is love. They throw bait on that hook. I know some of you out here probably fish being in the Mechanicsburg, but when you're throwing that cast, if, if you're throwing it angrily, if you're just winding up and heaving it out there, it makes too much disruption in the water. The fish aren't going to come. But if you're gentle, you're throwing it out lovingly, and then you reel them in slowly, then that fish will come. So if we really want to reel people into the body of Christ, we got to throw out baits of love. 
not throwing out bait of hate and judgment because those fish aren't going to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that jawbone, I was on fire, but God was still working on me. Because as it says in the word of God, Jesus Christ, he is the lion and the lamb. So there's a balance in that. Yes, he's ferocious and he's fiery. And for being in the military for eight years, I got that part. Like, I, I like that part because, <laughs> you know, ever since 9-11, I always wanted to be a hero. That's what I wanted to be when I saw people in need. I wanted to fight for people. I wanted to fight for our country. And when the Lord appeared to me at this time, he said, fight for me. The same way I created you with your passions, your experience, and your talents. Use it for me. Fight for me in my kingdom. Put together my army. Be my general. Do that for me. And, and that is way more fulfilling than anything I could have done on the physical side, doing it on the spiritual side and winning souls, because that lasts for eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Daniel 12.3 says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So I was always fearless. You know, we had a thing growing up in my generation called FOMO, which means fear of missing out. But now the only thing that I really fear is missing out what God has for me. I don't want to be on a game show like The Price is Right. They, God pulls back what was behind curtain number one, and he says, you could have had this in life. You could have had that in life. And then he pulls back curtain number three, and there's a million souls I could have saved had I just exercised my jawbone and spoke on his behalf. When I get to heaven and I see all of you saints in the congregation, I want you to be like, ooh, Minister Jeff, he's shining. He must have did that ministry. <laughs> he's shining right like the stars. <laughs> and I want all of you to shine like that too. Because that's what that funny bone is, the joy of the Lord. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to go back to it. So that jawbone, Job 22, verse 27 and 28, says, you will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing, and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways. So that scripture lets us know that Christ, being a Christian, it's a voice-activated faith. When God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke it into existence. So us as Christians, being little mini-Christs, we have that same authority too. Being made in the image of God is not a physical thing, it's a thing of authority. It's an authoritative position that we have as believers. You know, Jesus says that when we come to him, we sit next to God in heavenly places in Ephesians chapter 2. So with that in mind, we have the authority to start declaring some things. And see, in life, we always spew negativity. Satan has infiltrated our society so much that all you see is negativity. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You don't deserve to be here. But that is not of God. So we as saints... We have the opportunity to be the jawbone, the ambassadors of Christ, and to speak life into someone. What I learned in the military is not everybody has the grace to lead from the front. But there's also leaders in the middle and the rear. So even though God may not have burden on your heart to be up here, be on stage, that's okay. Your ministry might just be in servitude, just saying, hey, I, I love you. And that's it. I've literally drawn more people to Christ by not saying any scripture, just telling them I love you, helping them take their trash out, helping them with their groceries. Maybe the next person behind me at Starbucks, I'll just pay their way. And that sparks the conversation because they can feel that love. Yeah. 
So the next function of the jawbone is taking a punch. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 9. So a strong jawbone enables us to take a punch. Because when I came to Christ, my life did not get easier. Actually, my life got way more complicated because, like I said, I was on fire for the Lord working that jawbone, and then I was driving a wedge in my marriage. Because even though I was on first base going to church four or five times a week, minister out in the fields, hosting Bible studies, I wasn't taking care of home. And if you imagine a baseball field, you're playing first base, you're playing second base, you're playing third base, you might be running in the outfield, doing a great job playing defense, but guess what? If you're not protecting home base, the enemy's going to be scoring on you each and every time. So the most important thing we can do as ministers is take care of home. So I had to learn that to where my wife and I, we went to marriage counseling. And, you know, a lot of men, when you speak of counseling or things of that nature, they get turned off. They don't want to do it. But going through marriage counseling is where I revealed some things that God was still working on with me because I needed to hear another voice. Even though she was telling me, like, hey, you're, you're kind of, I, I get you're excited, but you're coming across a little strong. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear anything she had to say because I was so caught up and excited that I became tone deaf to the woman that I love. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor in the Lord. But I'm losing God's favor slowly but surely because I'm not respecting my wife and taking care of home because I'm so focused on what's out there, right? But not taking care of home is where all the problems arise. So as we're going through marriage counseling, that's where I learned about being the lamb, about being more gentle, that I don't have to quote Bible scriptures left and right to win someone to Christ. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteousness of the, is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So it's the fruit, it's my character that can draw my wife in. And, you know, I was so bad that she even told us in marriage counseling, like, I don't even know if I want to be married to a preacher. But look at where we are now. She's sitting right there. And I said that to say, just as Noah, when his business was starting a transportation vessel and that Noah was a righteous man and because of his righteousness, his whole family was saved along with his sons and his son's wives. The word of God doesn't say that they were righteous. It just said that Noah was and his whole family got saved. So the word of God that was still applicable back then is still applicable now. And that because I changed my life and came to the Lord, now my, my wife's came, my mother's here as well. My, my brother, he's coming along. My children are coming along. So if you really come to the Lord, especially as men, speaking to men specifically, when men come over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that lays the foundation for all of our families to come to Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. So I'm going to move on from the jawbone and go into the backbone. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 37, verses 9 through 12. So the backbone, which is connected to the jawbone, is about courage and hope. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. <laughs> then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. So that backbone is about courage and hope. And that's what our nation needs right now. We need more people that will be that beacon of hope, that ray of light to shine amongst all men, to draw people into the Lord. And look, it says here, he says, he tells Ezekiel to say what I say to them. It's not what Ezekiel said, he's repeating what God said. So that ties into what it takes for a revival. It takes the word along with the spirit of God to breathe into them. Just like in Genesis 2-7, when he uh, put breath into Adam, that same breath needs to come into us. It needs to come into this nation to spark a revival. So I'm going to share with a brief testimony on how I learned what courage is. So in 2017, my youngest daughter, she got afflicted with ulcerative colitis. For some of you who don't know what ulcerative colitis is, it's part of an irritable bowel syndrome. So what that means is she can no longer eat. Every time that she ate, her stomach hurt. She has stomach cramps. And at this point, she was born in 2009. So she was only eight years old. So some of you in here may have had colonoscopies and things of that nature. But as an eight-year-old girl, to have something so evasive as a colonoscopy, that broke my heart as a father. To be in there with my daughter and seeing her cry out like, Dad, Dad, they're hurting me. And I'm feeling there like, what can I do? What can I do when your child is screaming out in pain that she's feeling hurt and there's nothing you can do? So with that ulcerative colitis that afflicted her in 2017, between 2017 and 2018, between my wife, uh, my daughter's mother, all of our family, we lived in the hospital because her condition was so rapid that those, the inflammation on her colon was she was defecating blood. All of her stool had blood in it. And for her, I was learning what courage, what courage really is. Because at this point, this is 2017. I haven't fully submitted to the Lord yet, but God is still showing me things. He's showing me what courage and hope truly is. So as my daughter is going through these procedures, if you've ever dealt with anyone with ulcerative colitis, the process for medication is painful. There's steroids, there's infusions, there's nights in the hospital. So as she's going through all these procedures medically, nothing worked. So we got to the point in 2018 to where everybody at Honda knows I'm actually working from the hospital. And this is really when Stu and I started cultivating a relationship and why I love this man so much. Every, almost every day once he got word, he would stop by my desk say, how's your daughter doing? How's your daughter doing? Now, I didn't know where he was in the faith. We never talked anything about that spiritually. But now, when I had that vision and the Lord was playing that over my life in 2020, he said, Stu was praying for you. Stu was praying for your daughter. He was praying for her every night in his prayer closet. When he was on his knees, he was praying for your daughter. And that is why I love this man so much. And then coincidentally, we went to India together in 2018. 
Before I went to India for five days with Stu as part of a trip and transportation, I was in the hospital. I literally left the hospital from being with my daughter to going to that trip with Stu. And while we're in India, you know, their traffic, their rules, we spent a lot of time in the car together to where Stu was ministering to me. He didn't bring up Jesus, he didn't bring up the Bible, but all he did was show me love. He showed me love about his family. He told me how he had taken in numerous members of his family. And that is what the, the love of Christ is about. You know, a lot of times we want to criticize, but really to change the culture, we have to do something. If we want to change laws about abortion and things of that nature, then we as Christians, we need to adopt more kids. We need to offer foster services internally as Christians. Because if each one were to adopt or help a child in that system, then the law would naturally change on its own. There's plenty of dumb laws that still exist that nobody follows. So instead of us criticizing, we can be creators. We can create something better by offering up our homes. And to see when Stu shared me how many people him and his wife have taken in, it literally changed my whole perspective. It changed my life right then and there while we were there in 2018 in India. And now I never shared that with Stu. We never even talked about it, about the impact that man had on my life during that moment. But God was still orchestrating my steps at that time. So my daughter going back to the ulcerative colitis and knowing what courage and hope is. You know, we're praying, we're doing everything. And I, I, I wasn't submitted to the Lord. So I, I prayed here and there at that time, you know, when I needed something. But I wasn't praying unceasingly. I just prayed whenever I was in trouble. So at that point, her symptoms did not get better. She ended up being eight years old and having to get a colostomy bag. So as an eight-year-old child, when you have a colostomy bag, so literally, when you're defecating, it's going into a bag because they removed her colon. As an eight-year-old girl in third grade, that's when I really started to know what courage and hope is. Because I'm going to be transparent. If that was me at that time, I would have felt like my life was over. I would have felt so depressed and so grief-stricken that I don't think I could have made it. But for her, she was always into modeling. She was always into gymnastics. She was always into those activities. And while she had her colostomy back, this moment changed my life forever. We were in Dick's. She had a photo shoot. And during the photo shoot, I'm like, yeah, I'll take you to get clothes and things of that nature for your photo shoot because she was into modeling. And um, the clothes that she picked out showed her colostomy back. Every outfit that she picked out showed her back. And she took those pictures with pride. And that changed my life. I was in Dick's Sporting Goods while she's trying on clothes, crying my ears, crying my eyes out, or literally crying out my ears too, because <laughs> 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 I mean, <laughs> Tears were just falling because I learned what hope really is. It's the confident expectation. She wasn't going to let this disease beat her. She stood there and she said, I don't care. I'm still going to take the pictures anyway. What's the, what's the big deal? So I learned from there what hope really is. It's the confident expectation. She had hope from the grave that everything would be fine for herself. She inspired me to where I'm like, I thought I was courageous by going to war, going to Afghanistan, experiencing combat. I thought I was some tough guy. No. She was way tougher than I ever could be just from that experience. <laughs> Hallelujah. So this, so this experience, she has the colostomy back. 
She had to wear the colostomy bag for about eight months because what they were going to do is a procedure called a J-pouch. And what that is, it's, it's implanting a device that acts as the colon so she wouldn't have to wear the bag anymore. So she had the surgery in 2018, excuse me, the beginning of 2019, she has the surgery. They implement the device and things go well. To this day, she doesn't have to wear a, a, a bag. All of her illness, you would never tell. If you saw her today, right now, you would never think anything ever happened to her except for some minor scars. And with that experience, when I came to the Lord, hallelujah, thank you. Miracles do exist and they do happen. So with that experience, when I came to the Lord in 2020, I asked the Lord, what happened? Why, why did my daughter get sick? Because, you know, the Lord, he'll speak to you. He'll tell you the truth. And because we don't have this illness in our family. Nobody in our family has ever had ulcerative colitis. And what the Lord revealed to me was, you let Satan in the way you treated her mother when she was in the womb. You opened that door for Satan to attack because Satan is an opportunist. He will attack a child in the womb and he does not care. But I had my daughter when I was 21 years old, I was still in the wilderness and I'm gonna be transparent. I didn't really wanna have any more kids at that time. You know, so I'm not speaking life into the womb. Me and her mother, we're not getting along. We're not working as parents. We're not co-parenting. So Satan as opportunist, he put that sickness on her. But not all sickness is from Satan because we live in a broken world. But the key to that is asking God to reveal to you what the root cause is. You know, when Jesus healed the blind man and the disciples questioned him, they asked, is this a demon? And he said, no. So it's not always something satanic. But for this example, there was something attached to it because of what I did as her father and me having the spiritual authority over my daughter and the way I handle things. So tying in that jawbone, in 2020, I prayed over my daughter. I prayed over and I binded that spirit and said it will never attack her again. And ever since then, every medical appointment she's had, she's had no complications. So we do have the ability to bind those things. <laughs> Hallelujah. And God really will work that miracle. So she doesn't have, so she takes minimal medication. But when you're having a foreign device implanted in your body, there's all kinds of complications that can arise from that. But she has not had anything, and she's had it in there for two years. That is all God, and I just thank God every day for that. And the fact that he gave me the opportunity to get things right when I came to him. And that's what he'll do for each and every one of us. So the second testimony that I want to share about courage and hope, I want to read to you 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. This scripture talks about David's bodyguards. You know, it's kind of lost in scripture. People kind of just kind of look over it because it just has a whole list of people and exploits. But I want to focus on Beniah. Beniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, we have a, a habit of Christians to where when we read the Bible, we have this bias like we expected that to happen. But it says that he chased a lion on a snowy day and killed it. 
I mean, <laughs> that in itself is a movie script. To chase a lion in the middle of the snow, snow piling up, you're chasing a lion's tracks. I mean, who does that? Who? But the, the point of that is, is he had the courage to chase a lion. So we all have the opportunity as Christians that we should chase the lion. Chase the lion of Judah. So when I, going back to when I started the business, I started the transportation company in 2020 when COVID happened. And while I started the business, I'm growing it. It's, it's growing under Honda. You know, I'm still working there. And they presented me with an opportunity in January of this year. They gave me the opportunity to get a promotion and to take over another area of supply chain. However, in good faith, I knew it was a conflict of interest. So at that point, I wanted to test God. I'm like, you know what, if I have to lie about something I believe God is blessing me with, then it's not of God. So I told, I told him, I was transparent, like, look, I have this side business going. This is where I am with it. You know, let's talk to human resources. Before I accept this position, let's make sure that we're on the same side. So a couple months pass, human resources, they reach out to me and they say, you know what, this is a conflict of interest. So you have 60 days to shut down your business or resign. And at that point, that's when we'll move into the funny bone. Because <laughs> remember, the wishbone's connected to the jawbone, the jawbone's connected to the backbone, and the backbone's connected to the funny bone. Because at this point, all I can do is laugh. I'm like, wow, this company has not started making profit yet, and now I have the choice to shut down God's plan, because the name of the company is PLAN, the acronym, Performance Logistics Action Network, but it's not my plan, it's God's plan. I'm just a vessel, he chose to do it. So with that, I said, well, if this is God's plan, I'm laughing at human resources right in their face. I'm like, you know what? I was waiting on God to push me off the porch, and if this is how he wants me to do it, to step out on faith, I'm going to be like Benaiah, and I'm going to chase the lion. I don't want to look back at my life and be 50 years old and be full of regrets to say, man, I wish I would have started that business at 33. Man, I really would have trusted God for what he had for me. Man, I really wish I would have stepped out on faith and pursued everything that God has for me. Because look, that feeling of regret, that's worse than misstepping. The feeling of regret to look back on your life and a shoulda, woulda, coulda, I didn't want to live with that. So in 60 days, I said, you know what? What I'm going to do is train up the next person under me so that we can urban mire to Ryan Day this thing. <laughs> that when I leave, that this will be the best department, that the person who I'm training will be the best at the job, and we will not miss a beat. And that was my goal for 60 days. Because if I can show them what Christ is by showing that love, not being bitter, not being, being transparent, not using all my vacation time and calling off for the next 60 days. No, I worked and I trained the person under me because if I can show them Christ by emulating him in that behavior, then that's the way that I can change that whole department and to get them to come to God. You know, hallelujah. Stu had already retired by then. So we didn't have the, the in-house minister in the department anymore. <laughs> you know, we didn't have anybody walking around praying over office desks before they come in and things of that nature. Staying late, you know, doing stu stuff. So that, I was like, you know, let me pick up his mantle. So at that point, people in the office, they noticed. They're like, Jeff, you know, it's changing. Like, you know, when you're in these business meetings, it's like this peace 
is coming around the office, you know, because being in the Japanese company, you know, it's not really as filtered. You know, if you get upset, there might be some F-bombs thrown out, some uh, I'm mad at you, screw this, things of that nature. But when I would enter those meetings, God's peace would come with me. And like, and like I mentioned in the beginning, Jeffrey in German means God's peace. So it's just a prophetic anointing in my name that when they're saying Jeffrey, they're really saying God's peace. So they're really putting faith behind it in that meeting, whether they realize it or not, because that's the way God operates. You know, <laughs> when he sent out the disciples, he said, you are to be shrewd as snakes and gentle as doves. So what that means is we don't always have to be, you know, in your face Christianity or anything like that. We can move in silence, you know, like in the military, we can do some reconnaissance or be, you know, spy, so to speak, for Christ. Because just like Satan will infiltrate into our things, we can infiltrate his too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chase the lion. Amen. So as I'm chasing the lion, I had to say, you know what? That funny bone is about joy and perspective. See, because happiness is circumstantial. You can ask two people who are married, two different couples, so to speak, who are married, if they're happy, one may say yes, one may say no. But joy, joy is that inner peace that is activated by that funny bone. You know, when you hit your funny bone, it's connected to your humerus, and you kind of get that tingly feeling. And that funny bone activates that tingly feeling when you're in the presence of the Lord. You know, when Devin was praying, that funny bone was all shaking on me. I felt that tingly <laughs> sensation that comes from that funny bone. So that funny bone is about joy and perspective. So even though I had 60 days and I did not have everything figured out, I didn't have enough money saved. The company was not making profit, but I knew that I had money in my 401k that God blessed me with that I was fully vested that I could use in the meantime. So often we're looking for where's our resources and God's already provided it to us, but we have to have the faith to use it. He already gave me the income that I could live off of until the business became profit. But I had to step out on faith and not be scared to pull from it. But what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So, you know, when I said I was in the wilderness breaking the Big Ten Commandments, I tried everything else. So I'm like, you know what, let's try this God thing out all the way. I'm like, God, you birthed this vision on my heart for this company because as I'm studying scripture, I'm starting to realize that, you know what, God has always been really involved in logistics and transportation ever since from the beginning. You know, he told Noah to build an ark. That's a transportation vessel. <laughs> I'm just saying. In the Old Testament, you know, God was in the Ark of the Covenant. And if you read the book of Leviticus, he had a whole logistics plan for who's bringing the curtains, who's carrying this part, who's carrying that part. That's logistics. So Psalms 25 verses 12 through 14, it says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the ways that he shall choose. His soul shall, shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Here we go. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. See, we don't have to live in the dark of what God's promises are for our lives or what his provisions are or what his vision is for us. All we have to do is fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord isn't, uh, it's, it's more of an awe and reverence. It's more to say that this is the almighty God. And that I, I know that he's real. 
You know, it's not turning off God once I leave church and as Stu says, after the coleslaw and then checking out from him. It's acknowledging that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, and omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. Acknowledging those three factors for me personally, it, it removed my ability to seek sin. You know, because how can I look at something vile or pornographic or anything like that when I know that God's looking at me? It's like, you know, it kind of gets really awkward when you have the most high, the all-powerful, the creator of the universe staring you down the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you just can't do it. It just, it just takes it out of you. So with that funny bone and that perspective, that even though I didn't have everything in line, I had the perspective to set my mind on Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, for who, has known, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we can trust that once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to second-guess ourselves anymore. You know, Satan loves for us to second-guess ourselves and not step out in the faith and partner with fear and never do what God has. But I challenge you today to be that Benaiah and chase that line. So I'm going to close out and talk about one last testimony. So just recently, we had the opportunity to where there was a million-dollar contract on the table for the company. And the way this contract was presented was one of my uh, fellow church members, she reached out to me and said, have you ever thought about reaching out to X, Y, and Z company? I work there. Give them a shout because we're having some transportation issues. So I'm like, Wow. This came from somebody at church. This must be from God. I better uh, hop on it. So I hop out, I reach out, and within two days, this billion-dollar company gives me an opportunity to interview, quote lanes, and I'm thinking in my heart, like, wow, this is it. This is the big breakthrough because it came from somebody from church. The reaction time was within two days, and I'm thinking, like, hey, this is the big one. This is it. It's time to switch everything over. Fast forward, we didn't get it. We didn't get the contract. But the lesson in that is, is with the funny bone is, are you going to have that perspective? Are you still going to worship the Lord when things don't go the way that you plan? Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So not everything that we think is going to work out aren't. But James 1 Verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, be hallelujah. So because my perspective on my funny bone is, I'm like, ooh, oh, God, you're about to bless me because I'm being patient. I'm being diligent. I'm waiting on you, Lord. But waiting on the Lord doesn't mean that I'm not doing anything. I'm still preaching. I'm still on here, up here today, even though that just happened this week, right? Because I knew that if I still did my part, he would do his part. And that's what that trust factor is. So I'm going to close out with this. Ephesians 5.30. It says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So those four bones, that wishbone, that jawbone, that backbone, which is that foundation that connects those bones together, and that funny bone, all those bones, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And right now, I don't need to dive too far into Matthew 24 to let everyone know, and we all know, that we're in that fourth quarter. 
But God saves his best for last. Yes, Paul, Peter, they had a great ministry starting it. But God knew they couldn't finish it. The second, Martin Luther, the reformation of the church, he did a great job too. The third quarter, the Smith Wigglesworth, the Catherine Kuhlmans, you know, they did a great job too. But now, saints, it's the fourth quarter. So perhaps just for a time like this, God put us all together. Where God has enabled us in the fourth quarter, saints, to where we get to carry the banner. We get to do the Jehovah Nisi, wave the banner and bring it home. Because only by his spirit and his word can the dry be brought back and the dead out of the grave. So only until us, the saints, in the fourth quarter, that we close this thing out strong. And as the saints go marching in, that we march it into victory and close it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I thank you for your time, Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. And as your church is Christian Fellowship, I didn't come here just to give a sermon and then sneak out the back. I'm going to be right here along with the ministers that I brought with me. And if anyone wants an individual prayer, if anybody just wants words to strengthen you, encourage you, comfort you, restore you, empower you, or speak the truth. I call it the secret strategy that God has for each and every one of us. And in Hebrews 10, it says to, for not to, get, to not forget the assembly. So as we're here, if after everything is over, please, we'll all be right here. If you have a word for me, please share it. You know, you might have a word for me. God might be speaking to you to give me something to enable me to keep forward in my ministry or one of my ministers. So I would like to close out in prayer, and I would ask uh, Brother Vincent, one of the ministers that came with me, to just close us out in prayer and a blessing for us. If you don't mind coming up, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Hop up here so they can hear you, so they can see you. Hop. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Say, so praise the Lord. I said, praise ye the Lord. Can we all just stand? Hallelujah. I hope you heard the message that Minister Price was trying to articulate. Hallelujah. Because Ezekiel said, can these dry bones live? Hallelujah. He's talking about a church. Hallelujah. Specifically, he's talking about this church. Because sometimes we're in situations where we feel as though, hallelujah, we have given up. But he's saying right now, hallelujah, can we live during these circumstances? The situation is dead, but you have to open your mouth and speak as though the power of the Lord is coming from your belly outwards, that the words that you are speaking are containers so that you can speak to your situation so that they can live. Hallelujah. Let us raise our hands as we conclude in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for the words of the minister, Lord God. Hallelujah. Telling us, Lord God, that we are in situations and circumstances and trials and tribulations, Lord God. We are in a pandemic which is widespread across not just the country, but across this world, Father. Hallelujah. And we have, hallelujah, the power 
more for those that have received the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak to every situation. We speak to the bones, Lord God. We speak to the wilderness, Lord God. We speak to those, Lord God, that are down and out, Lord God. We even speak to this pandemic, God. Hallelujah, because we know that the enemy wants to put us in a situation, Lord God, where we are not prospering. But Father, right now, my name, Hallelujah, your name is grace. Your name is power. Your name is, hallelujah, grace, which means the ability that you have given us, Lord God, to speak to these bones, God. And as we speak to them, Lord God, the wind of the Holy Spirit will rush upon them. Hallelujah, that they would rise up in the name of Jesus. Now, God, touch this day, God. Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. The pastor of this place, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Also, he was trying to say as I'm praying, hallelujah, we declare right now, because declare and decree and command are very important in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. hallelujah. And I learned that when we, hallelujah, when we decree, we are actually speaking into existence what already is. That's the law that we are applying as we open up our mouth. So I decree that everyone under the sound of my voice, Hey, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, would take the fire of God. Just like Moses saw the tree, Father. It was on fire, but it was consuming, but it was not burned. But that fire that they have received for those that have received the Holy Ghost and those that will receive the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God. Hallelujah, would take them, Lord God, to places that they have never been, Lord God. Hallelujah. This church, hallelujah, is hungry after your word, Father. They are hungry after the things that you have placed, hallelujah, inside of them. And you are speaking to their hearts and their minds, Father. But they need one more thing. Just as I said earlier today, hallelujah, about Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. There's nothing dry, hallelujah, in Christ. There's nothing dry after Ezekiel spoke to the bones that they may live. Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I got nothing. You're dismissed. 